Genesis chapter number 13. If you're there, would you say amen? amen? I want you to look this way, if you will. If you'll think back to the last couple of Sunday services that we have had, I've been preaching a little bit from the life of a man in our Old Testament by the name of Lot. We're told over the New Testament that the things that were written in the Old Testament were written uh, for our admonition, for our learning, for our example. And God has certainly instilled some great truths in the lives of those who are located in our Old Testament, such as it is with the case of this man by the name of Lot. Lot was a man who had great potential in his life. He had great promise because he was brought up in the home of a very godly man by the name of Abraham. And yet we know that Lot wound up in great ruin. Uh, his life wound up in great tragedy because of some of the choices that Lot made in his life. Somebody once said this, that our lives are the sum total of the choices that we make. And if you sit here today in this service and your life is in great trouble, if you'll just look back over the past month or two or even the past year or two or several years of your life, I'm sure that the reason that maybe you're sitting in a place that you're sitting in this morning, you can look back and see it's because of some of the choices that you made in your life. Well, what I'm trying to do in these days is try to just maybe warn us from the life of Lot not to make some of the same choices that he made in his life. As I told you, he started out in great promise, started out with great potential, and yet his, his life wound up in great tragedy. See Lot, there is a younger man kneeling at the, altars of the, uh, uh, at the altars of his uncle Abraham, walking with God, a part of the family of God, a part of the family of a man that knew the Lord, and then see him at the end of his life in the plains of Zoar, in the mountains of Zoar. There he is with his two daughters who are expecting children by himself. How does a man go from the altars of a man like Abraham to the mountains of Zoar with two pregnant daughters through an incestuous relationship? How does a, person, how does a person's life wind up like that? And furthermore, what can we learn from the life of Lot that will keep us from making those same very tragic mistakes? Uh, I'm not suggesting that anybody in here will wound up with daughters who are pregnant by themselves, at least. I hope not. And yet we do understand that the same potential that rests in the bosom of Lot rests in our bosom as well. If we, if we leave off following the Lord, if we, if we make some bad choices in life, there's no telling where our life could wind up at. I told you this past, I guess it was this past Wednesday night that I kind of feel like that I'm at least in the late third quarter, if not the early fourth quarter of my life. And I don't want to wind up in tragedy. I, I don't want to become a has-been. I don't want to wind up a preacher's illustration. I want to try to finish well. And I, I want the same for you. I, I don't want you to wind up your life to, to life to wind up in a great mess because Lot is a classic example of what a backslidden believer looks like. Lot is a man who had a saved soul, but he had a lost life. Lost, uh, Lot was a man who had union with the Lord, but he had no 
communion with the Lord. And I told you last week, the Christian life starts out in a union. It's going to wind up in a reunion. But in between the union and the reunion, there ought to be some communion with the Lord. And yet right in the middle of his life, Lot Lot lost communion with the Lord. I don't know if we still have this verse or not, but there's a verse over in the New Testament that kind of sums up the life of Lot. When we read over in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 15, uh, the Bible talks about a man being saved. And notice that last phrase, yet so as by fire. Oh, Lot made it in, but Lot made it in simply by the skin of his teeth. He was saved, and yet he was saved, yet so as by fire. In fact, can I say this? We probably wouldn't even know that Lot was a saved man. Reading his life here in the book of Genesis, finding out some of the things that he did, we would probably say Lot was a man who made a profession who was never saved. And yet we read over the book of 2 Peter toward the end of the Bible that Lot was a righteous man who vexed his righteous soul with a filthy conversation from day to day. Hey, I don't want my family to have to read over to the end of the Bible to find out whether daddy was saved or not. I want to so live that I can leave a testimony and a legacy in the life of my family that daddy may not have been much, but daddy was a saved man and daddy walked with God and daddy loved the Lord. Hey, I want to leave that kind of testimony. I don't want to leave my family with a doubt whether I was saved or not. What about you? I want to so live that my family can walk by my casket, look down in my face, if that be the case, if the Lord doesn't come and say that my daddy was a saved man. So how did Lot's life wind up in tragedy? Well, last Sunday morning, I went off on this, and I'm going to try not to go off on it this Sunday morning, but I went off on this thought last week. Number one, the tragic downfall of the life of Lot is when he walked away from a man who could get a hold of God. He lived his life with Uncle Abraham, And Abraham was a man who walked with God. Abraham was a man who could get a hold of God. And Abraham was a man that God could get a hold of him. And yet we read in our Bible that Lot separated himself from that man who walked with God. Look in chapter 13, if you will, verse number 14. The Bible said, And the Lord said unto Abram, after that Lot was separated from him. Now we know Lot had a rough life. We know his dad died early on and then his grandfather. Grandpa died, and really the responsibility of Lot fell into the hands of this man by the name of Abraham. And I believe, according to the scripture, what is indicated was that Abraham was a man who took great care of Lot. He loved Lot. He prayed for Lot. He honored Lot. He brought him up right. And yet, when the time came in his life, Lot walked away from a man who could get a hold of God. I just want to stop and say again don't you ever separate yourself from some people who can get a hold of God. The Bible said in 1 Corinthians 15, that evil communication corrupt goods manners. The Bible said in Proverbs 1, 10, my son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. Hey, I just want to say, ladies and gentlemen, if you got a friend that's walking with God, hold tight to that friendship. Don't try to separate yourself from people who can get a hold of God. Well, I want to surround myself with them kind of people. Those kind of people 
cause me to want to rise up and to be that kind of a people. I don't want to surround myself with a bunch of carnal people who make me feel good about the worldliness and the carnality of my life. No, sir. You know, a lot of people in church, they don't want to hang around that spiritual crowd. You know why? That spiritual crowd shows them how unspiritual that they are. They want to surround themselves with carnal people because those carnal people make them feel good about the way that they're living. Hey, friend, let me tell you something. Let me give you some good advice. If you don't want to mess up, don't you hang around that carnal crowd and that worldly crowd that's going to drag you down. Find you some people that know God. Iron sharpeneth iron, so says the Bible. Hang around that kind of people so that your life can be lifted up and not pulled down by worldliness. Lot separated himself from a man who could get a hold. That's step number one. But then last week, step number two, I told you this. Lot allowed a disagreement to get him out of the will of God. Look in chapter 13, a little bit earlier in chapter 13. The Bible said in verse number 5 and following that Lot's cowboys got into an argument with Abraham's cowboys. And that argument between the cowboys, the herdmen, kind of spilled over between Abraham and Lot. So here are two men, two believers that get into a disagreement they get into a fuss or a quarrel or, or they get into, maybe we could even say that they got into a dispute or a controversy. And the Word of God said that, uh, uh, that, that this happened between Abraham and Lot. Now, I want to tell you something. Come up close real fast. Not going to re-preach last Sunday night. But you know something? You would think the church would be a place where people could get along. But many times we find the opposite in church. And I will stop and say again, nobody in here dots their I's and crosses their T's exactly probably like they do. I do, and you don't have to. But we do understand that this, this thing is much bigger than just what you want or what I want. While Lot said in chapter 13 in verse number uh, 7, uh, the Bible said, Abraham said in Lot, verse 8, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen. Why? For we be brethren. Now, we already know they were kin naturally. There was an uncle and a nephew here. But, but Abraham said, hey, there's more to this thing in this day, just a family relationship. More than that, we're brethren. Hey, we're in the same family. We're, we're not just an uncle and a nephew. We're a brother and a brother who happens to know the Lord. And the Canaanite, verse number 7, the Canaanite and the Perizzite have got their eyes on us. We don't need to fight. We don't need to have this disagreement. We don't need to quarrel. There needs to be no controversy between us. There needs to be no fuss between us. Abraham said, I'll tell you what I'll do, Lot. You go ahead. You make the choice. You choose which way you want to go. I'll go the other way. You see, I understand this is much bigger than us. We're not going to fall out. We're not going to let a disagreement like this come between us. You go your way. I'll go my way. I'll give in to you. I'll suffer loss if I have to because I realize there's more state than just some cows, just some grazing land, just some money, just some fortune. There's more to this thing than that. We're brethren. You go your way and I'll go mine. Look at me. Come up close. Can I tell you something, Fred? If it ever comes to a point that you and I have a disagreement, 
If it ever comes to a place you have a falling out with somebody else in church, hey, can I give you some good advice? You just remember the Canaanites outside these four walls and the Perizzites outside these four walls have got their eyes on how we respond to those disagreements and those quarrels. And every once in a while, it'd be all right for somebody to say, I'll suffer loss. Hey, I realize this is bigger than us. I'll give way. You choose first. You go your way. I'll go the other way that there be no disagreement between us so that this lost world could have an accusation against the people of God. Don't, don't you let a disagreement get you out of the will of God. If you have a falling out with somebody here at church, don't quit church over that. They have a falling out down on the job, you don't quit your job, do you? Can I have an amen? You have a falling out in your neighborhood, you don't sell your house, do you? Can I have an amen? Then why in the world do you want to come over here to church, maybe disagree with somebody in a Sunday school class or something happens and you have a disagreement, first thing you want to do is throw in the towel and quit church. That'll get you out of the will of God. And I'm going to tell you something, that's another step toward the mountains of Zoar. Can I have an amen? But here's a third step. And this is what I want to preach a little bit about this morning. Step number three, don't desire anything that looks like Egypt. Don't you desire anything that looks like Egypt. So Abraham said, Lot, you go your way, and I'll go the other way. Now look what happens in our text, chapter 13. And look, if you will, at verse number 11, verse 10. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Notice this phrase, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves the one from the other. You know what I find in this text? Lot lifted up his eyes. He's got a choice to make. And by the way, let me just stop and say that Lot should have given way to Abraham instead of Abraham giving way to Lot. But you know what Abraham said? I'll be the bigger person here. I'll step outside of my pride. I'll step outside of me having my way. I'll step outside of the, the rights that I may have in this situation. And, and because this thing is much bigger than we are, and because people are watching how we respond to situations like this in our life, you go ahead and choose what you want. I'll give you the first choice. I'll take what's left. Can I just stop and say, amen and amen. It's bigger than us. I'll give you what you want because these things ought not to happen between us for we be brethren. Would you say that with me? We be brethren. There's more at stake than my pride. There's more at stake than my rights. There's more at stake than just who what I want. This is much bigger than we are. We're brethren, more than just family. We're in the family of God. We're not going to let this thing destroy us. You go your way. I'll go my way. I'll give sway. You take the first choice. I'll step back. You do what you want to do. And the Bible said that Lot chose the well-watered plains of Jordan. Now, let me say two things. If you look there at verse number uh, verse number 10, there was a religious reason and then there was a real reason he made his choice. Look at verse 10. The religious reason was that those plains looked like the garden of the Lord. But the real reason was 
they reminded him of the land of Egypt. Now, can I just stop and say briefly a couple of things about this choice. The religious reason, oh man, that place reminds me of the land of the garden of the Lord, meaning the, the garden of Eden. That's what that place looks like. It looks like Eden, but it really is Egypt. You know something, that, that reminds me of a couple of things. First of all, it reminds me of this. It reminds me, number one, that uh, what Lot is trying to do is to hang on to both worlds. He's trying to hang on to Eden, but he's also trying to reach down and get a handful of Egypt. Egypt in the Bible is a picture of the world. Egypt to the child of God is a dangerous place. Egypt is a place that no child of God has any business going. Egypt represents, in reality, the life that we lived before we got saved. Egypt represents that place that is detrimental and dangerous to our testimony. It's detrimental and dangerous to our marriage. It's detrimental and it's dangerous to our family. Why would any child of God want to go back to the land of Egypt? Why would they even want to look in that direction? Because nothing is down in the land of Egypt but heartache and turmoil and trouble and tragedy. Why would anybody want to even go in that direction but he has a religious reason well it reminds me a little bit of Eden but it also reminds me a little bit of Egypt a place of danger and a place of disaster you know it kind of seems like a lot is wanting to like a lot of people in our day they want to hang on they, they want to hang on to the hand of God with one hand and they want to hang on to the world with the other hand. And they want to try to enjoy the blessings of God, but they don't want to ever turn loose of the pleasures of the land of Egypt. They, 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 want, they want what God has. They want a fellowship with God, but they don't want to ever cut ties with the land of Egypt. You know, there's a lot of people sitting in churches this morning. They got a crowd that they go to church with. That's, that's, that's their church crowd. And, and, and they hang on to God with that hand and that crowd. But then on Monday morning, when Monday comes, they'll go back down there to that work crowd, that cussing crowd, that beer drinking crowd, uh, that, uh, uh, that, uh, uh, that immoral crowd. And they'll go right back into that crowd and they'll act just like them. And yet they want to come to church on Sunday and sing about how much they love Jesus. And they want to fill out their tithing envelope and drop it in the, in the offering plate to ooh to soothe their guilty conscience because of what they've been doing in their life. And then on Monday, they'll go right back out to that same wicked way and ungodly way of living. Can I just stop and say it? Just don't work like that as a child of God. You can't hang on to Eden and hang on to Egypt at the same time. Ladies and gentlemen, we got to make a choice. If you're going to go that way, go that way. But in God's name, quit trying to drag down the testimony and the cause of Christ and the testimony of your church living one way in the world, living like hell Monday through Saturday and then putting your church clothes on and running over here to church and acting like you love God on Sunday, friend. Just don't work like that. He wanted Eden and he wanted Egypt. It's amazing to me, it is absolutely amazing to me how the devil can make something that is so wrong 
appear to be so right. It is, am it is amazing to me how that people can justify how they live in life, how they're living in their life. It's amazing to me how they can be convinced that what they're doing is okay when it's as wrong, as wicked and hell, as hell itself. It is amazing to me how that people can, can, uh, uh, can man, I, I want to say it, but I, I don't want to say it. It's just amazing to me how people can justify what they're doing as, in their mind to make, them think, make themselves think it's okay. When in reality, you know it's not okay. You know it's not the will of God for your life. You know it is against the word of God. You know it is grieving the heart of your Savior. If you're really born again and you're really saved, can I just stop and say, you can't continue down that road and get by with what you're doing. There's going to come a payday. Hey, I'm telling you something. If you're really a child of God, there's going to come a tug on the other end. God's only going to let you go so far, and he's going to start pulling back. And let me just say this. He knows how to get your attention. He knows how to pull back back friend. He knows how to, how to bring you to a place that you see things from his perspective. You see if you look in our text, the Bible said in verse number 10 and 11 that Lot saw Sodom as one thing. But if you want to know how God saw it, look at verse number 14 verse 13. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. Lot saw a good place to raise cow. God Lot saw a good place to raise cattle but he didn't consider the fact that God saw it as a wicked, ungodly, and a sinful place. It may have been a good place to raise cows, but bless your heart, it wasn't a good place to raise children, friend. And you better consider there's little children or there's grown-up children that's got their eyes on you. They're watching your life. They're seeing how you live. Brother, you may think I'm doing nobody harm but myself, but I'm telling you, you're destroying your family by the things that you're doing. Why don't you get right with God this morning oh friend they, they justify it they think it's okay well, I don't even know how you can think what you're doing is okay what book are you reading you must be reading true romance you must be reading you must be reading Hollywood Hollywood fires because I'm here to tell you what you're doing is 10,000 miles from the will of God for your life. And it's 50,000 miles from the word of God. And if you think there's anything right about it, I'm here to tell you, as a preacher, you're wrong, friend. You're as wrong as wrong can be. It's sin, it's wickedness, it's against God, and you need to repent and get right with God, friend, before you wound up in the mountains of Zoar in the cave with a ruined life. Trying to hang on to both worlds. I'm glad you're in church. I appreciate you coming this morning. I do. I'm glad you're here. You know why? Because I am preach truth to you while you're here. I can tell you it's wrong. It's ungodly. I'm glad you're here. But I just think you try to make yourself feel better by coming over here. I do. I think you make you feel better when you... Lick your tithing envelope, put a little money in there, soothe that conscience of yours. I mean, you're trying, you're trying, I'm okay. Friend, you're not okay. What you're doing is not okay. It never has been, it never will be okay. 
And before you wind up in tragedy with God pulling at you and tugging at you and speaking to you, you think it's back since you walked over here to hear this again today? You ought to knew what you was coming. You ought to know what you was coming to hear because I got on it last Sunday morning. And if the Lord will give me breath, I'm going to get on it again next Sunday morning. I'm not about to let up because it's wrong, it's wicked, it's ungodly. You're destroying your life. You're destroying your testimony. You're destroying your family. And it seems like you don't even care. And you're trying to justify it in your own mind and make it right. And there's nothing right about it. Not anything right about it. Ah, but preacher, I like it. It's Eden, but it's Egypt. You know, it's sad, but many of God's people today, they desire Egypt over Eden. It's, it's pitiful that we're living in a, in, a, in, a, in a church age that we are when people sit in this building and you used to take a stand against some stuff, but now you've just let up. I mean, man, it used to be when I was growing up, you didn't listen to rock music. Rock music was wrong. Country music was wrong. You didn't go to the movies. It was wrong. And now we've done changed our mind about all that. We got rock music in church now. Can I have an amen? Country music, rock music in church, show movies at church, have popcorn night, show movies. What's happened? What's, hey, what's changed? Has that King James Bible changed? I don't think it has. You me tell you what's changed? We got to desire in a little bit of Egypt's what happened. Can I have an amen? It used to be like uh, this. It was all Eden and no Egypt. And then it became mostly Eden and partly Egypt. And then it became half Eden and half Egypt. And then it became a little Eden and mostly Egypt until today. It's no Eden. It's all Egypt. Can I have an amen? And we done changed our mind. Things ain't wrong no more. I mean, man, just, it, just go along to get along. Man, I'm tired of fighting it. I'm throwing in the towel. I'm done with that. I'm telling you, if it was wrong 50 years ago, it's still wrong today. Can I have an amen? Hey, if it's wrong 25 years ago, if it was wrong when you was growing up, it's still wrong today. You may have changed your mind. Your little old young'uns run around half naked. Let them run around, rip around with everything they want to run and rip with. You let them go to the movies, listen to whatever kind of music they want to listen to. But I'm here to tell you, friend, it's still wrong in the sight of God. God hadn't changed his mind. It's us. We're desiring a little bit too much of Egypt now. And we ought to get back over here and grab a hold of both hands of Eden and hang on for dear life because there's nothing but heartache and tragedy and trouble in Egypt, friend. But I think I can see how it happened. I think I can see how it happened with Lot. I, I really believe it. Because notice in our text, in ver look at this. Look at your Bible, please. In verse number, verse number 10, verse 11, and verse number 12. The end of verse number 12, the Bible said that Lot pitched his tent towards Sodom. In other words, watch this. 
He's leaning in that direction. He's pitched his tent towards Sodom. I want to tell you something, friend. It makes all the difference in the world where you pitch your tent. He pitched his tent. He's leaning. Now go to chapter 14. Look at verse 12. Chapter 14, verse 12. And they took Lot, Abram's brother's son. Read the next four words with me. Who dwelt in Sodom. So wait a minute. Here's, it didn't happen overnight. It was just a gradual process. First, he started leaning. Next thing you know, he's moved into Sodom. I can see how it happened. Can I use my sanctified imagination? And if it makes you mad, it's good because it's good to get your blood pressure up first thing every morning. <laughs> Here's how I think it happened. I think one day Lot came in and Mrs. Lot said to Lot, she said, honey, you know in reality, and by the way, she'd fixed him his favorite meal. For me, that would be fried potatoes and onion with cornbread and cream corn. And she fixed his favorite meal and set it before him. And after he'd ate and he's sitting in there reading the Sodom, the Sodom newspaper with his tent pitched towards Sodom, living on the city limits of Sodom, Mrs. Lot said, Lot, can I talk to you, honey? He said, well, honey, baby, you can talk to me about anything. She said, you know something? All I'm doing is running a taxi service from here down to Sodom. While our young'uns are going to high school down at Sodom High, and the girls are participating in all the extracurricular activities. They're in cheerleading and, and all that stuff's going on. And she said, and, and you know, I've, I've become a part of the ladies' uh, organization, the, the, uh, uh, the ladies' uh, community society down in Sodom. And she said, you know, honey, I'm spending more time down in Sodom than I am here. And honey, I just think it's time maybe that we just move on into Sodom. And then she said this, now, honey, I don't want to hurt your feelings. But we live out here in the country. And I, and I love Uncle Abraham. But his church, I mean, I'm a little bit embarrassed when I go to church over there. With those people knowing in Sodom that we're attending this church out here, where he shouts and cries and preaches against everything, and all they try to do is get people to come to the altar. And I mean, they blast us with amazing grace about every service, and it's just kind of in our face. And all they sing about is there's power in the blood of Jesus. And man, they, they're not up to date. I mean, that preacher and all that shouting and crying and running to the altar, and sometimes it's a little bit embarrassing when they get up and start running around the church, just to be honest with you. Now, I love Uncle Abraham. He's a good man, but man, those ladies in Sodom know I go to church there, and it's just a little bit embarrassing. I mean, all that old-time stuff. They got a hip church in Sodom. It's swinging. It's called the Gay Metropolitan Community Church. Their preacher is a swinger. He don't wear a suit and tie in the pulpit. He, he, he don't yell at people. He don't get all upset about stuff. He, he sips coffee at a little stand, and they drama. They have, they have drama. I mean, they, they do stuff, and, and they have dialogues. So he's not just up hollering at people all the time, screaming about coming to the altar and telling everybody what's wrong. It's a swinging church. 
Boy, our kids would like it there, honey. Oh, man, they'd love that youth department there. Yeah, they would love that preacher. Uh, honey, you know over there, Uncle Abraham's church, they ain't even got a youth pastor over there. And, uh, and can I just stop and say this? We got a youth pastor at our church. You looking at him. I pastor the youth just like I pastor the old people. We ain't got just, we, hey, all of you that are old people in this room, who's your pastor? <laughs> Until we can do better. It's me. All you young people, everybody in this building that's 20 years old and younger, stand up right now. Just stand up, please, or I'm going to throw a songbook at you or something. Who's your pastor? Who's your pastor? We got a youth pastor. Ethan, who's your pastor? Blake, little bitty boy, who's your pastor? Caleb, who's your preacher? Hey, Laura, who's your pastor? We got a youth pastor. You know the people that get upset and want to run off from our church because we ain't got a youth pastor and they ain't even got kids yet? Elijah, who's your pastor? Hey, Will. Jared, who's your preacher? I thought I was the youth pastor. Y'all forgive us for not having one, but until I, I... I think we got one. I mean, his name is Brother Tim. He's the same one that everybody else has got. Y'all can be seated. Thank you. I'm not going off about anything. I'm just telling you, people get mad or, or get upset want to leave the church because we ain't got a youth pastor and ain't even got kids yet. Is that crazy or what? I know I'm just going off a little bit this morning, but I'm just here to tell you, we got a youth pastor, you looking at him. I'm going to pass to the old folks, I'm going to pass to the middle-aged folks. I'm gonna pa hey, if I'm going to bury the dead and marry the young, I might as well just be everybody's pastor. Can I have an amen? Last time I looked, I thought we was doing okay. Don't be fussing about it. If you ain't got kids yet, we might change in 13 years. Can I have an amen? Am I feeling a little bit like Tony Hudson this morning? Hey, man. Maybe I am. I don't even know. But can I just tell y'all something? I don't even know what I was preaching about now. Honey, they got a swinging church, the gay metropolitan community church in Sodom. Our kids would love it down there. It's swinging. The music is hip. They read out of a Bible that everybody can understand. I think we ought to move. And Lot swallowed it hook, line, and sinker. You say, preacher, what happened? I'm not going to say this is going to happen to everybody that, that, that does this, but I know what happened to Lot. His two daughters are pregnant by their daddy, drunk in a cave in the mountains of, uh, of Zoar. I, he lost it. I'm not going to say you're going to lose your family. I hope you don't. But can I tell you something? Lot lost his. You know why? I'll tell you why, because he moved into Sodom. It was a good place for cows. It was a sorry place for children. And I got to close with a question. What's more important, your cows or your children? I'll tell you what I think I'd do. I'd hang around a place and hang around a person that can still get a hold of God. I'm not going to let a disagreement get me out of the will of God with somebody. I'm going to hang in here, friend. And I know I rub people the wrong way and don't even mean to because I love everybody. I want everybody to love me. But I'm going to tell you something, friend. If you got a place that still stands on that book right there, 
and still blast you with amazing grace. And there's power in the blood of Jesus. And every once in a while, you can feel a tug on the other side. I don't think. We got a youth pastor. If I'm going to put up with you old people stuff, I'm sure going to put up with them young people stuff. We got a youth pastor. I'm only 60. And I feel like I'm 24. I, we got a youth pastor. Jeff, do we have a youth pastor? Brother Kyle, we got a youth pastor. Brother Greg, we got a youth pastor. Brother Allen, we got a youth pastor here. What about it, Brother Reggie? What about Brother Raymond? Do we have a youth pastor here? I think we do. Last time I looked, his name's Tim Gammons. I'm going to get me some of them rainbow color shoes like you got on. But this ain't no gay metropolitan community church. Can I have an amen? Don't desire anything. And don't justify what you're doing, friend. It's wrong. If that book is against it, God's against it. Don't try to just, don't hang on to Eden and hang on to Egypt. With, but you, it can't, it can't. No man can serve two masters. That's why a man can only have one wife. No man can serve two masters. It's in the book, Matthew 6, 24. I love you. I hope you'll come back for more. Next time, same bat channel. Let's pray. Father.